I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the A podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside Patrick Williams. We've got a fun guest later on today, don't we, Pat? Yes, we do. One of the like true old school, like uh, you know, iconic behind the scenes, but kind of not behind the scenes. Like he's a probably you know, if you're a Chicago Wolves fan, you'd recognize him, even if you don't maybe know the name. Uh, real fixture. He's, he's Kevin Kaser, uh, the head athletic trainer of the Chicago Wolves, and you know, uh, you know, real, real nice person, a real good storyteller, and I think uh, somebody who will give us a lot of insight into the behind the scenes role uh, of one of the most position, important positions in hockey. That you know does involve you know pucking the stick. Absolutely. Always want to know more about the guys that are running out on the ice when someone gets a gruesome injury. Um, the things that they have seen. But first, before we go over to Kevin um, and bring him in, let's talk about uh, some interesting news that's sort of commonplace every summer in the AHL. And that's that the Toronto Marlies are signing reclamation projects, if you will, mm-hmm. right? Where they've basically, and this is dating back to when Kyle Dubas was general manager of the Marlies um, and assistant GM of the Leafs. The Marlies are, have long been regarded, used to be before Seattle, the 32nd NHL team, but sort of the 33rd NHL team now, right? And mm-hmm. what what I mean by that is that they almost run like one because they have their own affiliate in the Growlers. They bring in players that are maybe not deserving of an NHL deal, but have some upside, haven't been, you know, didn't work out in the first place that they were drafted or whatnot. But if you think about it, a lot of the guys that they bring in are at the age where if they were a college free agent, undrafted the perception would be a lot different i think the marlies have have capitalized on that for a while have they not they have this is a case where obviously we live in a, in a salary cap world but this is a, a situation where the uh, toronto maple leafs uh, maple leaf sports entertainment can flex on that financial muscle that they have in different ways which is these you know kind of under the radar um ahl slash ECHL type signings uh, obviously the Marlies are, and the Leafs are well known for the amount of resources they, they, they put into their whole operation at every level. And they're one of the teams that um, through the years has really tried to utilize not only the Marlies as a developmental tool, but, but also the Growlers at the ECHL level. Uh, and really, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of, it's volume. Like they'll throw as many prospects as they can into the, into the, uh, blender and sort of see what, see what happens. Right. Like, and they can do that. Whereas maybe, you know, teams on, on tighter budgets, uh, don't have that, that ability to do so. So it's, it's, uh, it's been something that's interesting. And, you know, when Kyle Dubas moved on, I would, I wasn't sure kind of like if there'd be a shift in philosophy. Um, but it looks like, uh, you know, with, even under the, the new management regime that. Uh, they're, they're continuing that, right? Like, in, you know, that, that, that philosophy will um, extend uh, beyond Kyle Dubas as well. 
And the main thing with them, right, is, and before we get into the names, I think this is important to note, whether it's an AHL deal or an, a player that comes on on an uh, ECHL, AHL two-way deal, or an ELC, the Leafs have gotten a lot of games and asset value out of undrafted free agents. Trevor Moore, for example, mm-hmm. was an undrafted free agent. They signed to an ELC. He netted them Jack Campbell, their starting goalie for two years, you know, when they needed one especially. Then you look at Bobby McMahon, right? One of the best players in the AHL last season. Injuries limited at times, but a great player. Alex Steves, another guy knocking on the door. And then you go down the line too, Mason Marchment, um, who was not with the Growlers, but he was on an HL two-way deal, became a good NHL player. Mark Johnstone, Noel Hoffenmeyer, who just signed the LC. The list goes on and on. So without further ado, let's get to the guys that they just signed. The first name, the most notable, I think, is Jay O'Brien. Jay O'Brien was a first-round pick of the Flyers in 2018. The Flyers opted not to sign him to an ELC, and frankly, understandably so. Uh, things have not gone to the level you'd expect um, or hope for from a first-round pick. He started his career at Providence, didn't go that great, went over to the BCHL while transferring, not ideal, went to Boston University, and was a good player. Just, you know, I think he, he lost some runway there. And from Philly's perspective, obviously they get a second round pick for compensation. It's hard to pass up on that. But for the Marlies, they're getting a chance to really inject their their presence and their will, um, if you will, on this intriguing prospect. Yeah, this is a this is a situation you don't see too often. You don't see too many first round picks go unsigned, right? Uh, totally. You know, by the team that actually uh, drafted them originally, right? You know, so. Um, yeah, Jay O'Brien's an interesting case. Um, he's you know 23 years old. Uh, like you mentioned, at Providence, at Boston University too. You know, you know, obviously prestigious programs, Division One. Uh, he had his success at times, but but certainly did not go the way that either he or the the Philadelphia Flyers wanted. I'm interested to see what the the Leafs and the Marlies can do with him, right? Like. As I mentioned, you know, the resources that they have there, you know, very deep developmental staff. Um, you know, I, I brought up Mason Marchment before, but like for me, he's one of the like the prototypes of that, totally. that, that whole that whole program that they have there. It, it, you know, a player that came in with lots of raw talent, but it was kind of all over the place, like, like, and, and you know, with a lot of work, a lot of time, patience, uh, that staff was able to eventually kind of, you know, coalesce all that talent. You know, make him into a cohesive player. Now, obviously, he's you know he's no longer with the Leafs as a you know, but he's you know he's in the NHL. He's a you know he had signed that big contract uh, last year with Dallas, and uh, he's a he's a full time NHL contributor. So, like, if that's what you can do, and even if you can't get a player to that, just having you know you're bringing in talent, right? Like, you're just generating that internal competition at all three levels, right? Like, you know, you're not going to have any complacency mm-hmm. uh, anywhere because when you have that many players coming to the system, like everybody's pushing right like you know and so that that, that's i think what really drives that philosophy there uh for the entire operation and it's funny too because the leafs slash marley's by extension they have got a deluxe powerpoint for when they're trying to coach or or poach these free agents right it's like you want to see what we can do for you look at player xyz the list goes on and on notable names mason marchman trevor moore um players that have come through the system and become very good nhl players in a matter of years, like and through yeah. that system, so that definitely is a feather in their cap when they're doing this. I want to go over just a couple of the other um, 
names that they signed. David Ferentz, another interesting one, third on pick of the Predators, played at Boston University. Now, he's an interesting one where this happens a lot in college, right? Where they, they sign an ELC and they burn a year, mm-hmm. uh, which he did. Had a good rookie season uh, and been all great. And then his sophomore year last year, which was split between Chicago and Colorado, was how do I say this? High octane. A lot of a lot of offense, a lot of volume, but there's a lot with his game that needs to be rounded out. Sort of like a Noel Hoffenmeyer signing, I think, where they want to maybe round out the edges of his game. Uh, Johnny uh, Taconic, um, another interesting player, second-round pick a couple years ago, polarizing prospect, one of the best in college hockey, or regarded as you know supposedly to be one of the best. Things kind of went up and down for him as well, another transfer, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what they can do with him. He signed with the Growlers at the end of last year. And then Robert uh, Minestroni, this is an interesting one, from Denver, where Trevor Moore went as well. Second-round pick of Detroit, signing with the Toronto Marlies. Uh, one of those situations where, again, high pedigree was drafted, uh, you know, drafted a spot that, you know, looking back, hindsight's 2020 or whatever you want to call it, you wouldn't take him there. But there's still, I believe, an intriguing prospect there. And, you know, for him, there's, there's quite a lot of runway that you can achieve, you know, in a one or two year deal with the Toronto Marlies, I, I'd say. Yeah, you know, Esther Simone is really interesting. Um, you know, obviously, you know, they're very high on the, uh, the Boston University uh, products. He's another one. He went to Arizona State his final year. But um, and, and you, you could do a lot worse than, than pulling from a, a you know, prestigious uh, program like, like Boston University. But um, it's interesting just that, you know, again, it's another player where you're talking – Okay, there's there's potential there, but but like how like there's tons of players that have potential. It's how do you pull it all together mm-hmm. and shape it into a kind of a uh, almost like a marketable um, product. Like like if you think of a player as a product, I hate to reduce them to that, but um, like what Not is that. yeah, what is the way that what is your path to the NHL if there is in fact one, and mm-hmm. and. and, and how do we kind of market you as such? Right. And, and, and then once you have that definition, then, okay, now, now we lay out the path to how do we actually, you know, achieve what we're trying to do there. And so I think that that's another you know, real underpinning of that, uh, um, that Leafs, Marley's growlers uh, approach and they're patient and they have the resources, right? Like yeah. you know, the growlers, I mean, it's amazing the amount of attention, the amount of resources, You'd, you'd actually have Kyle Dubas, the NHL GM, going to the ECHL team, you know, which you almost never see that, right? Especially, For sure. you know, it's not exactly, you know, a trip around the corner either. So um, it's, it's a, you know, I think players recognize that, right? Like you made a great point that, you know, if you're, if you're a free agent and you're looking around, you're thinking you're, you're weighing your options, right? Like, and they can point to, you know, some of those players that have come through. You know, Trevor Moore, obviously, being, you know, Mate Marchman, you know, two of the most successful. Even, I know, I know, I know Justin Hall took, a, you know, a ton of heat toward the end, especially, but, like, hey, he great made the NHL, right? Oh, like, yeah. a great development story. Like, you know, maybe it didn't pan out in the end, but nevertheless, um, you know, from where he was to where he ended up, right? Like, 100%. Uh, I think Justin Hall doesn't regret how it turned out for him. I mean, you know, he was a player that, you know, I think in a lot of other situations – never would have gotten a real look at the NHL, but because he was with that Marley's team and yeah. he bought into that, that, you know, that message, uh, he was able to eventually, you know, find his way to the NHL, make himself, you know, a serviceable uh, player at that level. 
And one more thing I want to mention, I think that the Marlies have really figured this out is you mentioned how they like BU guys or they really have a big mm-hmm. knack for that. I think that they realize too that if you transfer, yes, it does affect a lot of your run away in your development, but it's not always the player's fault. Situations happen it, just like in any other hockey death chart situation, right? Where it, sure. the fit isn't there. The problem is though the transfer process isn't so seamless. So that's where it takes away development time. And then also too with it, I think, you can still have upside with guys that are lower than the lineup at BU. BU does a great job recruiting. So I think that there's some, you know, synergy there in that sense. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, finally, by that same token, I think for for them, if they look at, okay, this player at 18 years old was at a very high pedigree. Things didn't go great, but there's still something there. The same reason you're betting on someone back then, you know, when you're betting on an 18-year-old to progress there's still some traits there. Obviously, development isn't linear. I think that they're realizing they can do that and they can take a bunch of these guys and it, it's it's lottery tickets. Like, why not? And sure. if and you know, sure enough, maybe it's every five years, every ten years, and maybe you get a Trevor Moore or a Mason Marchman out of it. All of this is worth it because yeah. if you become the the prototypical development program that college players want to go to you'll get those hidden gems i I can guarantee it um all right kevin caser chicago wolves coming up right now let's send over to that interview our next guest is uh probably the longest tenured athletic trainer in all of professional hockey you'd be hard-pressed to find someone in the same spot for as long as you have and that is kevin caser the chicago wolves head athletic trainer who has been with the team since 1995 He's with the Detroit Pistons before for two years. But since then, he's been a Chicago Wolf. And let's bring him on. Kevin Caser, everybody. Kevin, how you doing? Hi, guys. Great Good to, to have see you. you. Good to see Great you, to too. Be here. So are you uh, in the Chicago area? I assume you're, you're kind of there all year round. Yeah, we, we once we started here, uh, I brought my family here and, and we're here now. I uh, actually grew up in the Chicago area. Okay. I was uh, born and raised in Highland, Indiana, which is right over the border. And uh, when this opportunity hit me when I was just let go by the Pistons, uh, Rick Dudley at the time was the GM of the Vipers mm-hmm. in Detroit. And I had done a little work with the Vipers, helped them set up their situation and actually took a road trip with them because their trainer was uh, unavailable at one point. And uh, Duds called me and at, after I got gassed by the Pistons and he said, "There's a there's an a, or there's an IHL hockey team in Chicago that's looking for an athletic trainer. Would you be interested?" I said, "Duds, I'm from there. I'd, I'd love to." And uh, came in for the interview, got the job the same day, and and here I am, my 29th season, getting ready to start. Unbelievable. Well, let's take it back to the beginning. What spurred you to pursue a career in athletic training? Well, I I played sports when I was in high school. I played football, and then I just I just didn't feel it. And, and the head coach at the time said, Kevin, do you, would you be interested in helping us out in mm-hmm. either a manager or a, a student trainer position? And I said, oh, yeah, I think being a student trainer would be kind of cool. So they sent me to this basic student trainer course uh, that ended up, it was at Northern Illinois University at the time. And uh, that sparked my interest. And then I knew my senior year that that's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to go to school for. So I looked at like IU, uh, Indiana University. I looked at Purdue and those are both big schools. And I I, I looked and they had like 25, 30 student 
athletic trainers on their staff. And then my football coach in high school told me about this small school in Indianapolis, the Indiana Central University, that his brother was the team doctor for. And he said, give them a look. It's, it's a pretty nice situation. So I went down there and visited, and I was one of two student trainers my freshman year. So I got like thrown into the mix right away. I was traveling with the football team. I was traveling with wrestling and baseball. So it was, I got thrown into the fire quick, and I think that really helped me learn and develop. Absolutely. Um, and what does a typical practice day or game day look like for you? I think that's something that a lot of fans and listeners are curious about, especially when you bring an athletic trainer on. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny because everybody, oh, you got the best job in the world. You get to sit on the bench and watch hockey. That's easy. Well, yeah, that that's the easy part of my job. I mean, right. I, I'm the first one usually in the rink myself or the equipment guys. We get to the rink about seven o'clock in the morning. For, for a practice day, we start practice usually about 10.30. So 7 o'clock in the morning, we show up. We get the coffee made. We prep for practice. Uh, players will start showing up about 8.30 in the morning. We'll do our pre-practice routine, therapy, whatever we need to do. And then from 10.30 to 11.30-ish, we'll have practice. And myself or my assistant will, will be on the ice monitoring practice. And then as soon as practice is over, we'll have – post-practice treatments. And then we do all of our documentation, all that, uh, which is a big part of our job now. Uh, yeah. We do a lot of documentation. And then I'm usually home on a practice day between three and four in the afternoon. Uh, game days obviously are a little longer. I've got a little longer commute to get to the game rink, the Allstate Arena. It's about a 40-minute drive for me. So again, we get there about seven in the morning and usually don't leave there until about midnight to go home. You, met, you mentioned your background. You worked in basketball. You worked with wrestling, other sports. How is hockey different it, uh, from working other, in those sports? The, the basis of it is really pretty much the same. I mean, mm -hmm. sports medicine is sports medicine. Injuries are injuries. It, it doesn't really – matter what sport of course some sports are you're going to have more injuries of a certain kind than other sports but i will tell you this that when i first started with hockey it was my i mean i did a a weekend with the vipers and helped them a bit and that, that was fun and then when i first started and got thrown into the mix hard it was eye-opening the, the the players themselves i think are are the best athletes in pro sports to work with they are bring your lunch pail to work kind of guys. They're, they're hardworking guys. They respect the people around them, the people that look after them. It's, it's, it's a really good situation to be in. I, I love working in hockey and I, I don't think I'd go to another sport. Now you mentioned the players since the time you started in 1995, the IHL was a veteran league, rough and tumble all the way to today. How, what kind of, how have players changed maybe in the way that they, are aware of their own health, um, their knowledge, and so on and so forth? Well, the, it, it has changed immensely. I mean, when, when I first started in the first few years, guys would come to training camp to get into shape. And now when, when a guy shows up to training camp, they are physical specimens. They are in the best shape of the year the day we start training camp. And then from that point on, we try to monitor and – keep that base going because hockey is, is a tough 
sport on the body and it and it tears guys up. And if if they don't maintain their their fitness and taking care of themselves, they're going to open themselves up for some pretty significant injuries. What's the difference between working with an NHL affiliated club to a non-affiliated one when you're in the IHL? Well, there's really not a lot of difference in my world. Uh, The only real difference is is kind of the documentation process. Like hockey is hockey. I, I treat my guys all I'd like to say, and I'd like to think that I treat my guys the same no matter what. Uh, if it's a, an NHL superstar that's down with us for for some conditioning or there for a little bit, or if it's a rookie right out of college or juniors, I, I like to treat everybody the same. They're, they're all the same in my book. And it hasn't really made much of a difference the way that we work, whether we were independent in the IHL and then moving forward to the AHL when we were constantly affiliated with an NHL team. The only real difference is, is the documentation and the, the communication back and forth with the NHL club. Is that with the trainer or, or who, who is, is there a medical liaison or what's there, that? No, it, it, my typical mode of communication was with the head athletic trainer and we okay. would talk very frequently uh, every day uh, that we were affiliated with, with an NHL team, mm-hmm. whether that be the Atlanta Thrashers, the Vancouver Canucks, the St. Louis blues, Vegas, golden Knights uh, or Carolina. Uh, I would send a daily injury report every day. And, and that would be a list of guys that I'm currently treating what their injury is, what their prognosis is and what we're doing with them. And, and that list goes to GMs, assistant GMs, scouts. It, right. it goes to a, a, a lot of people. For you, Kevin, um, how, how do you maintain and stay current with, you know, the latest practices, knowledge, uh, breakthroughs, et cetera, um, in the field? Because obviously you've been now at it more than 30 years. There's been a lot of changes technology-wise and information-wise. There, there's been a whole lot of change, uh, technology-wise specifically, and, and even in your practice, your daily practice, like what you're doing every day, it it changes quite a bit. And we have, uh, I'm a member of the PHATS, which is a Professional Hockey Athletic Trainers Society. And every summer, we have about a week-long uh, symposium or meetings where we all get together, and this is all athletic trainers from all different levels. Uh, of, of hockey from the NHL to the AHL, the East coast hockey league, college uh, hockey athletic trainers, as, as well as equipment managers from all those sports. And we're and it's bam, bam, right in your face. We're doing classes. We're doing emergency type practice scenarios. Uh, we have speakers come in from all different worlds of education and, and talk to us and give us presentations. And we take a lot from it. And for you, 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 you know, any given season you're managing, let's say 20, 25 different personalities at a time, different medical histories, backgrounds. And we've all known the players that will, you know, they'll go through a wall, right? Like almost like no regard for their own health, their own body. And then you have other players that maybe tend to nurse themselves a little bit more. How do you manage working through those different personalities and, and saving players from themselves or maybe pushing players uh, when they need that? That's that's really, I would think, is probably the biggest part of my job. Um, I wear a lot of different hats. 
I do, especially at the minor league level. Like I, I clean toilets, I clean the bathrooms, I, I help clean the locker room. I help in laundry, whatever it takes, I'll, I'll help them. But uh, I think getting to know players personally and the personality part of it is I think the most important part, like you've got to get to know your guys. You've got to understand where they're coming from, see it from kind of their point of view. Like what are they going through right now? I've, I've had veterans in here that have been around a long time and I've had guys that come straight from juniors or, or straight out of college. And these guys don't know how to start a bank account. They don't know how to write a check. So there's, there's a lot of things. I'm, I'm a dad basically to 25 guys during the season. So, you know, it's, you, you talk about the fa fatherly aspect to it. How much of it also ties back to saving players from themselves and having to, you know, when the instinct is to play through an injury and play through when they're not 100%, kind of conveying to them and getting through to them to trust the process and listen to their body? That's that's the thing. These guys, like you said, will run through a wall. And, and a lot of times they'll hide injuries from us, which – that's something I really don't like to see. I'd, yeah. I'd rather a guy be completely honest with me. That way we can treat what's going on. If you, yeah. you had something from me and I don't know about it, that means our coaches don't know about it. And if our coaches don't know about an injury or something that's bothering you guys, the players, and the player has a, a bad game and they're not playing very good, coaches are going to, oh, he doesn't give a, doesn't give a crap. There, there's nothing going on with him medically because Kaser hasn't said anything to us. Mm -hmm. So his game is really lacking right now. And that can hurt a player. I mean, a lot of these guys are on year to year contracts and they're playing for their livelihoods. There's not, it's not a, a long career in hockey. And these guys need to try to do for themselves while they, while they can. And what is something that fans either don't know about the job or generally, you know, misconceive or misunderstand um, with what you do? They don't, I don't think they understand how much goes into a hockey game behind the scenes. Like we've got stick boys that help set up the benches. We've, we have to coordinate EMS care. We have to coordinate our doctors and dentists when, when, what games they're going to be at, what time they get to the games. It's, there's a lot of behind the scenes organizational stuff that people, just kind of take for granted. They buy their tickets and they come watch a game. Oh, that, that was a great game. That was fun. Well, there's Kaser standing on the bench, not doing anything again. Well, that's, that's good. Right. If I don't have to do anything on the bench. And uh, Kevin, this has been great. One more before we, we let you go. Um, any notable, and this is hard. We're putting you on the spot here, but any notable stories you can think of, of your time in the AHL or rather, sorry, IHL too, with the Chicago Wolves, whatever league you were in, that really speak to the job you do and, and the whole career? Well, one of the – I like to throw humor into my daily activities. I'm, I'm really sarcastic with guys, and I'll mess with them. They mess with me. And that's the thing that I like most about being with a team mm -hmm. is that camaraderie you have in the locker room and the jabs back and forth. We uh, one of the funniest things that that ever happened was, I think our first year in the AHL, we had a couple guys on our team, uh, Dan Snyder who has passed, and and Ben Simon, and we also had Darcy Hortichuk. Well, Dan and Ben Simon were absolute jokers, and we'd go back and forth all the time, all the time. 
Well, we had a practice at the Allstate Arena one day, and Ben had just purchased a new SUV. I had a buddy that owned a packing company, so he brought me two huge plastic bags of packing peanuts. And while they were out on the ice, I went and got Ben's keys, pulled his car right up to the door, opened the sunroof, and filled his truck with packing peanuts. Just so happened that like all three or four of the, the big news channels were there interviewing guys for the game. So they That's all awesome. caught it. And it was it was on TV. And he opened his door and packing peanuts just spilled all out in the parking lot. And he took off, went down the street, and there's packing peanuts flying everywhere. And then about a month later, he comes in and he's a little ticked off at me. He goes, yeah, my wife was just at the, uh, the dealer. Our air conditioner wasn't working and uh, burned out a fan. I go, oh man, that's a bummer. What happened? And he pulls up a plastic or a styrofoam peanut that got stuck in the fan. <laughs> so thankfully, it was still under warranty. But uh, yeah, we, we we like to mess around a little bit, but when business is business, we we get down to it, and take it serious. Kevin Kaser, the peanut packer. All right, man. Thank you so much for joining us, and best of luck this season. Thanks, guys. It was great having, great being here with you. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Thanks again to Kevin Kaser. Great interview. Great insight from someone that I, I don't know if I've ever heard from at the HL level. I don't know if I've read anything about um, a trainer or insight from there. So actually at any level. So that's really fascinating and happy we can give listeners a sneak peek to that. Okay. So before we close off today's show, segment we want to do, discuss the best AHL players in recent memory that never became NHLers. Now, some of these players, I believe, maybe got a cup of coffee in the NHL maybe got a couple games, but we're talking about regular NHLers. We've got three forwards, two defensemen, one goalie, our all AHL team, if you will. The first one, one of the best players uh, in the league still, TJ Tynan, forward, Ontario Reign. Why did he never make the NHL, Pat? Uh, size. I think even, even in today's game, I mean, the yeah, size is not as important, but uh, he's when you're a skilled guy. That- when you're yeah. a skilled guy, uh, but you know, he, he is on the, the extra small side, I guess you would say. And um, ultra competitive player, like, you know, he was trying to Matthew Phillips before Matthew Phillips right. um, in that sense, like a, a, a guy that, that, you know, is plays well beyond his size. Um, extremely uh, he plays a feisty game. Um, he'll go, you know, he'll go up against a six foot four defenseman, not you know, almost no regard for his own you know well-being, his own um, safety. So um, he plays that game, but you know there is that that perception that well, he's he can't do that you know at the NHL level, and you know he's got his cups of coffee here and there. But again, I think for for this is a theme that we've discussed before. Like you know, a lot of times these players when they do get an op- opportunity at the NHL level, it's in a very different type of role from what they're accustomed to. Right. So like, totally. Not only are you trying to hit, you know, you know, get up to speed at the NHL level, you're also trying to, do, you know, do something completely different, uh, you know, f- from what you're accustomed to. So, you know, I think just, you know, players, 
they, they, they get that opportunity and it, it is an opportunity for sure, but um, it's certainly not maybe, you know, well suited for them, I think for him. Um, but I mean, you know, he's a player that, you know, carved out certainly a, a excellent career for himself at the American league level. Uh, very valuable in, in his own right. Um, both to Ontario and to LA. And since 2018, no AHL player has had more points than TJ Tynan, who's had 392 in 344 games. For perspective, that's 70 more than the next best player, Chris Terry. A dominant player over the last half decade, no doubt. Next one, speaking of dominance, Andrew Podorowski. Mr. Playoffs, if you will. Fair to say? Absolutely. I mean, um, great story this past year. You know, like, he, uh, he had that injury in late January, uh, the established time is four to six months. So you're thinking, yeah. like, uh, it, you know, it's it's not looking great for him to come back at any point. Uh, not only did he come back, came back well before um, his, his established time. It was kind of an impressive rehab. Um, he came back on, on a little bit earlier than that, that, that timeline. So it was uh, – he, he's similar to Tynan in that sense. Like, he's on the small side uh, – Tynan's a little bit more, I guess you'd say, stocky, but you know, Podorowski's a little bit more wiry. Um, but again, another player, um, excellent, excellent uh, um, playmaking ability. You know, he I, when he signed with Seattle, you know, uh, you know, know his thinking as well. Like, you know, I think his it's a one was, way too. Keep yeah, it was a one way. I'm going to to a team at the time was only going into its second year. Um, it looked like a great opportunity, but then, you know, sort of Seattle, um, took off a little bit faster than everybody expected. So, uh, he settled in with Coachella and, and became a great player there. I mean, he's the type of player though, every NHL team needs those depth guys, right? Like, you know, you can't pull him up to the NHL in a pinch and, and you're not gonna, uh, you know, he's not gonna sort of embarrass himself. So, uh, a great player in his own right. Another point too, is I think that there's very few players in the AHL that maybe every owner or most owners that are wanting to get or wanting to invest, sorry, in the minor league team, you'll find very few that wouldn't be like, yeah, we'll, we'll pay a, a one way for Andrew Potter also just because the guaranteed return and investment you'll get with your minor league club and the reputation he has. So uh, he's definitely carved out a niche in that way, right? Getting a two year one way deal. That, yeah. That's really, really impressive, um, especially with where he's at in his career. Chris Bork, the last forward we're going to feature, perennial all-star, two or three-time, rather, Calder Cup champion, one of the most decorated players in his day, Mr. Hershey Bear he is. Why, why is he on this list, Pat? Um, similar. Um, small. Um, and he, he's a little bit older, obviously. Like, he came in uh, around 2005, so I was still kind of the heyday of, you know, like, Size. sizes, everything. And, um, you know, he got uh, early on, I think he got labeled as, as a kind of a one-dimensional type player, offensive ability, you know, beyond, uh, you know, any level at the AHL. But, uh, you know, there were some gaps in his defensive game at that time. Um, and the, that coupled with the size worked against him. But uh, certainly, you know, three-time champion, uh, a player that's, uh, you know, at the AHL level was uh, legendary. On the back end are – First of two defensemen is Trevor Carrick on the list. Yeah, uh, tough, rugged, uh, but also excellent. Um, uh, number one 
type defenseman at this level. Um, you know, he's a player I, I, I did think at one point, like, I thought he was on the verge of breaking through, but it just never quite happened. Like, he was in that Carolina system for about five seasons. Um, probably, and, you know, it is, you know, hindsight is everything, but uh, maybe got, uh, you know, stuck in one place for too long. Maybe it would have benefited him to, to, get an opportunity with a, with a different team. And by the time he did, he was, he was in that mid 20 range where that, that is a tougher time for defensemen to break through. But, uh, you know, the knock on him, I guess you'd say was, you know, mobility and skating and, and, and that sort of thing, which is, you know, the case with, with lots of players, but at this level, he's elite, um, and excellent character. Um, you know, he's a captain type player, um, and, and a player that every good team needs. Tommy Cross recently yeah. retired defenseman is our last one as well. Yeah. Second round pick. Um, real, real classic. Uh, you know, the way, way he was like, he played like a stay at home defenseman, but he knew how to produce like offensively, you know, kind of like at his peak. And uh, again, skating the knock on him and, you know, but um, at this level, uh, you, you can see why the Boston Bruins kept him around for such a long time. And then hmm. eventually he moved on. Know, a few other teams as well. Um, it's actually the type of player you want there as a mentor for your young defenseman. Um, you know, you know, he's he's interesting. Like he always seemed to be like, even like in his early twenties, like he seemed like he had that like dad aspect to him, right? Like he seemed like more like he was in his mid thirties, like exceptionally mature, exceptionally good head on his shoulders, um, and uh, extremely high character. You know, it's just never seen to on the ice, so. Um, you know, he didn't quite break through, but, uh, you know, he certainly carved out a very nice career for himself, uh, for a long time in this league. Now, before we close things off, our goalie, this was definitely the hardest one. Cause it yeah. really could, there's a lot of really good goaltenders that will qualify for this, but we only mm -hmm. can pick one. And who did you take Pat? I went Troy Grosnick, um, at this level, always being elite. Um, but goaltenders are weird, right? Like, yeah. You know, like situational, it's, it's kind still of still situational, right? And like, if you yeah. get into, you know, you get into, a, uh, uh, I don't want to call it a predicament, but you get in, you, you come into an, uh, a situation where tandem, tandem, like yeah. you're going up against, maybe you have a top prospect that you're playing alongside. Exactly. And maybe, you know, you're also a player, you come into the NHL, like the depth chart, you got a guy, like number one guy, right? Like yeah. the NHL level who's not going anywhere. Uh, anytime soon, right? And like for Troy Grosnick, um, you know, that was, I think, part of his challenge, right? I mean, and, you know, before you know it, you're coming in and um, in his case, like he came into San Jose. Well, like San Jose was pretty set in net, like when he came out of college. And when he came out of college, he was already 20, 24 years old, I believe. So like, you know, that is the challenge, I think, for, for goalies, right? Like, you know, you're coming in there and you're 24 years old. Like, that runway gets a lot shorter. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, you're like, you're 27. And it's you've only played a few years in the, at the pro level, but you're now you're already kind of labeled and relegated as that. Well, he's, he's a great AHL goalie, but, uh, uh, yeah, you can't really do it at the NHL level. Like, it's interesting. You only played four games ever in the NHL. It was a safe percentage, 933. Obviously, sample size and all that. But my point is, it's just that, um, you know, he's... he's There's a, a lot of Troy Grosnacks. There's a lot of guys like yeah. that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, Mike McKenna, another really – sure. Uh, like you said, we had a long list of options. And, you know, Mike McKenna made a very nice career for himself for, for a decade plus. Mm-hmm. Kind of always being that guy that could go around, fill in a, a, as number three on the depth chart, mentor the prospect that was with him. Um, these guys are valuable. I mean, Absolutely. Right, and they tend to get paid very well at this level. And that's sure. why, like, Grosnick got another contract this year going back to the Nashville system even coming off an injury year um, at 34 years old. And he was still signed because they do have a lot of value. Absolutely. Let's cap off today's episode right here. Thank you everyone for listening. Thanks again to Kevin Kaser for joining. We'll be back next week. And uh, Pat, October's around the corner. It's September 1st right now we're recording. So we'll, we'll start to gear up in the next couple episodes. Sorry. All right. All right. Until then, though, we'll leave it there. Thanks for listening and take care.